Hello and welcome back to another episode of Holistic Healers. Before we get into it, I just want to say thank you to everyone who's been consistently listening and supporting the show. If you're new, welcome. So glad to have you join us today in this discussion of anything health and wellness related. Uh, If you are new or if this is your um, maybe... 30th time, I don't know, listening to this podcast, definitely let me know if you are interested in a specific topic or have someone in mind that you want to listen from. I'd love to have them on the show or I'd love to talk about whatever topic it is that you're interested in and sharing an episode on it. So for today's episode, I wanted to talk about movement. Um, And one of the greatest healers of many health concerns is movement. And whether that be going on a run, working out at the gym, dancing, stretching, walking, hiking, biking, whatever it is, movement is such an essential part of our health. And we need to move to some capacity every single day in order to feel good about ourselves and be comfortable in our bodies. So one technique that is often explored in holistics, whether that's, you know, holistic approach, holistic medicine, is yoga. And yoga has been researched, you know, time and time again as being a great way to help with many mental health complications, um, specifically trauma. So for those who have had a history of trauma or experiencing trauma or need help processing unresolved trauma, yoga is a great way to do that. And, you know, when we think about yoga, sometimes we think, oh, it's just, you know, something we can do at home or, you know, we can get a membership and go to a practice and do it. Um, But it's one of many interventions that is not accessible to a lot of populations. And we're going to talk more about that today. But we're going to talk about yoga. We're going to talk about its, you know, the reality of its accessibility and what we can do to kind of change that, hopefully. Um, So today I invited on a well-known, sought-after yoga teacher, trainer, Um, within the Houston area of Texas to talk about, you know, yoga philosophy, trauma-informed yoga, other different kinds of forms of yoga, and the social justice lens with this. So she started with, like, breath practices in the 90s, but her life experiences kind of changed because of chronic pain and injuries, learning about ancestral healing, and compassion. And all this now is helping her to heal so many people and their past traumas, past experiences that are still influencing and impairing their health and wellness today. So with over 5,000 followers on Instagram, her goal is to make yoga more accessible, either through her practice or social media or wherever else you can find her. Um, So without further ado, I would like to welcome Tamika Kasten-Miller to the Holistic Healers podcast. Thank you. <laughs> I'm glad to be here. Of course, yeah. Thanks for thanks for agreeing to be on the show. Um, why don't you start off telling us a little about yourself and what you do? All right. So I am Tamika Kasten Miller. I am a yoga teacher, an educator, and an urban farmer. 
I um, believe in helping people get back to or restore themselves to themselves, wade through the um, layers of culture and uh, oftentimes the lies that we tell ourselves that are reinforced by culture uh, to connect to our true, most transcended version of ourselves. And so I'm doing that through yoga, mindfulness practices, and also helping people reconnect to nature by putting their hands in soil. Can you tell me a little more about that? What are you doing as an urban farmer? <laughs> well, you know, we were a community garden and then we realized that that doesn't pay bills. So um, we're like, we better start selling something that we grow. <laughs> so we became an actual like farm with a farm number, like registered with the USDA this year. And essentially what I believed was let's give people access to, and by people specifically traditionally marginalized people, like let's give traditionally marginalized people access to a space that has joy, connection, collaborative work, and that is not a bar and it's not a protest. I realized that what would end up happening so much is that we would like LGBTQ plus and BIPOC folks, we typically would gather in those types of spaces. And so, and then what drink, get angry or whatever, you know what I mean? So I'm like, what happens if you don't want that? And so I thought, okay, what if like we came together with our, like we came together and we brought allies together and we engaged in meaningful collaborative work. What if we started building something that was bigger than us? And so we started We started that. So that instead of growing food, we started growing flowers and then flowers are things that we can sell now. And it's completely and absolutely frivolous. Like we do not need flowers. I mean, I guess one could argue if we grow flowers and the bees have something to eat and we do need bees, but you don't think about flowers as important. It's just beauty. And I think that when you're a person who lives a traditionally marginalized reality, having something frivolously beautiful and joyful is really important. So that's where the farming came in. It was an element of living or actioning my yoga through collaborative work. That just sounds like such a safe community too, because I know like you were saying with marginalized populations, like it's all just negativity. It's like, no, it's like, we need something beautiful. We need something great and something that's safe. Yes. And it's not even like, it's always fun or easy either. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's rarely easy, <laughs> but <laughs> And only sometimes it's fun. So also that, you know, like it, it's hard, like being out here and this is Houston is hot as hell. We got hella mosquitoes. Um, like the mosquitoes are Texas size. You know that everything's bigger in Texas. <laughs> they were specifically talking about mosquitoes and guns possibly. But anyway, there's just... <laughs> it's a lot yeah so um farming in this community is challenging <laughs> well I I'm so glad to hear that there's I guess community out there doing that fun work not always fun like you were saying not always easy but you have that sense of support because I think that's just so important in general anyone needs that 
Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is that we're, we do hard things all the time, right? The question is, are we doing hard things just because we have to survive? You know, this is one of the things that really irks me about like people who talk about resilience is I'm like, you know, like folks that are, I'm like, like black and brown, indigenous, queer folks, we're already resilient. We've yeah. had to be. We <laughs> we have had to be. We have had to look at everyday common news and find ways to go on with joy and joy. That takes a lot of resilience. That takes a lot of hope. It takes a lot of faith. And those are things that you just don't like, like not everyone has in spades, you know what I mean? But we do. So I think that it's amazing that we're resilient people. And I also would love opportunities and spaces where I don't, I'm not always having to flex that resilience. Yeah. You know, like, can I do hard things that I actually am agency, I'm in agency to do rather than, oh, let me find a coping mechanism for seeing another black person lynched, mm-hmm. you know? Like I'm tired of having to always go to my tools and my coping. I'm glad I have them, mm-hmm. but I, you know, it'd be really great if I could retire them. Yeah. <laughs> so. You shouldn't have to always be in a position to need to use them. Right. And it seems incessant right now. Mm-hmm. So while that is the case, you know, may we create spaces where joy can exist, free freedom can true freedom can exist. People can dress the way that they want their, how they identify isn't questioned all of those things. Yeah. It makes me think. So my, my grad school right now really centers on social justice. Um, and something that's, you know, as being white with a lot of agency and a lot of my ranks, Um, It's something that I'm just, you know, starting to learn about and really like being shoved in my face rightfully Um, because, you know, as white people, we haven't had to look internally about this kinds of stuff. And we were talking about like the BIPOC burden and having to teach a bunch of white people about everything that, you know, marginalized populations have experienced for centuries now. And so, you know, just you talking, it's just like, never ending burden for you this never ending distress like anything like I just feel so bad but um yeah so again I'm just really appreciative for you to be on discussing these kinds of things I appreciate you I appreciate you highlighting them and you know the the thing is is that there's one thing to like constantly or there's one thing to like teach and express and to like say hey this is my story Mm -hmm. like will you hear my story and will you listen to it? Will you respect it? But I think where the real burden comes in is when people are like, I need to understand. Help me to understand. Help me to, to, to understand why I want, I need to do this or I need to do that. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to. That's your work. So my, my work is to free my voice and to storytell and to allow for people to know me And I think the onus is on the recipient of that information and that story to say, I may not understand this, but I see you, I hear you. And now I'm going to do my own work to try to understand you. And even if I never understand, 
I witness you and I appreciate you sharing that with me because you didn't have to. I love that. And it's just maybe, I don't know if this is the right word, but it's definitely validating. Like just to not have to continuously explain yourself or need to feel the need to. Yes. And I'm just a wee bit older than you. Um, so I'm also, I've been doing this for a long time. Like I'm, I turn, I'm, I'm 49. What? Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. And I'm, thank you. You passed, you passed the vibe check. Um, (laughs) No, but I, I'm not trying, like I've been doing that for a really long time. I think another thing that people don't understand is the same questions, comments, and microaggressions have been stated over and over again for like 35, probably almost 40 years of my life. No, I'm not, I'm not going to make you feel better. I'm not going to make you, I'm not going to, I'm not going to have you feel bad and then me feel bad because you feel bad. Like, no, do your own work. Mammy yourself because I'm going to be it. It's not my job. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, I'm glad we started with that because I think this whole conversation today is we, you know, you're basically an expert in yoga and I don't know how you want to say it, but I, I view you as an expert in yoga practice. Um, but it's, I think it's really about finding this authentic version of yourself and being able to express it. And I'm, I'm just glad we started off this conversation on that note. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah. I'll take that label yoga expert. <laughs> you just have so much experience. I was so happy for you to join. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. I mean, it could have been, it could have really not been the case mm-hmm. because think about how, think about what you see when you go into a yoga space. Yeah. <laughs> I, I definitely could have said, you know what? Uh, I don't feel like being the only person in the room right now, the only token, you know, in the room, like I could have done that. I could have stayed home. I think what people are finding out now is there are a lot of people who stayed home who are now like, hmm, you know, live stream can keep my camera off, turn it on, whatever. And now I can do the thing and I don't have to worry about the space being inclusive because this is for me and about me. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I'm, I'm glad I'm really grateful for my journey because it could have ended so many times just because of either lack of validation, lack of people seeing me, lack of seeing other people who look like me attempts at erasure, et cetera, et cetera, ad nauseum. <laughs> Yeah. Infinitum. <laughs> yeah. Let's hear a little about how did you get into the world of yoga? <laughs> yeah. I, um, breath, breath practices. Mm-hmm. So I was a trained singer. I, I, in fact, I just posted about this today on my stories where I was like, I thought I was going to be the next either Leontine Price or the next Sarah Vaughn, and I became neither of them. <laughs> so I thought I was I was like training to be an opera, but I, I really did love jazz. And um, I even and, did the jazz hands. You're like jazz. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, and so breath work is at the core of all music. (laughs) I mean, if you're playing an instrument or singing, right, that requires wind. So I came into it through breath work and understanding that if I could control my breath, I could do magical things like 
you know, like sing, uh, you know, for long periods of time and things like that. And um, breath work led me to, well, this is a mindful way of breathing. This is like a yogic breath. And I think I stumbled upon a class when I was in college, which by the way, was probably before you were born. Um, and, um, and I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. And they use that same breath that I've used in order to belt in order to, you know, carry a high C, you know what I mean? So like, this is cool. Let me do more. And yeah. so then a little, it really went into the physical aspect of yoga because I had kind of a, a pain that would creep up every now and then in my hip. And I was like, hmm, whenever I do this movement, I feel better. So then I was like, okay, I'm going to do this movement a little more, but I would do it at home because I was one of those home yogis. Right. <laughs> and also at this time, the studio wasn't a big deal. What people don't realize is that Bikram Chaudhary, who's like one of the worst people on the planet, bless his heart. Um, but he is really who kind of helped people get into the studio because they were heated and so what were you going to do? Practice at your house? So yoga studios kind of became a thing, you know, yoga mats became a thing thanks to this like horrible, abusive guy. <laughs> right. So, eat the peanut, throw away the shell. So, um, so the, uh, so yeah, so then I started practicing and I had a yoga teacher who had gone on a weight journey and she was like, I see you, you are so strong, like be here, stay here, let's grow together. And I practiced with her um, almost exclusively for a year and just loved her. And then the studio closed and I was like, oh my God, right when I thought I was gonna take teacher training. She's like, you need to be a teacher, we need you out in the world. And it took like a whole year of convincing because I'm a full figured woman you know, that's, oh, for you younger people, that's what we call fat now. That's what y'all call fat now. I call it full figured. So, <laughs> so I became, so I was like, totally had to like over, like, like be okay with that. Like, this is the body that I'm in. Okay. Yeah. And this is the thing. So, yeah. So the studio closed and then, oh my gosh, this is becoming a longer winded story than I intended. That's <laughs> fine. It's so interesting. I mean, we're both in healing professions and I think we love talking to people. So it's okay. <laughs> just like people were like, and so <laughs> no way, no way. <laughs> but so, yeah, so the studio closed and I had this whole like, oh shit moment. Can I say shit on here? Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> okay, cool. So I had a whole oh shit moment because I'd associated my healing. I'd associated my path with this one teacher in this one studio. And so, and also my finances, because it was the one I could afford. Right. So I started, I, I just like reeled for a little while. And then I found a new studio and all of that. And through that studio, that's the one where I became a teacher. But I have to tell you that there was just such a long process of like realizing that it wasn't about the studio and it wasn't about that teacher. And it, wasn't even about, you know, my physical body. It was just about showing up every single day and doing something and showing a commitment to doing that and doing my best. And what could that look like? And that lesson over and over again became one that started changing the way that I looked at everything. And I think that that is that and a numerous amount of other things were why I was like, you know what? Yeah, I think, uh, 
yoga is definitely this path and this, this thing that I need to help bring into the world, um, to folks that look like me. Yeah. Well, thank you for doing what you do because I'm, I'm glad you brought this up because it's like, everyone looks is white, you know, tall, skinny, yogi, (laughs) hippie girl. Um, and even like males too, like you don't even see a lot of males in this world either, but especially, you know, people of color, marginalized populations, like they're just not represented well. And like you said, they are there. It's not like they're not, it's just, they're not being shown. (laughs) Yes. And even the ones who are still fit the same archetype of everyone else. I remember this woman trained with me and she was just like, she was a black woman who trained with me. She's from the Pacific Northwest. So like seeing a yoga teacher that looked like me in the Pacific Northwest is like never happening. Right. And she said, she's like, I don't think you understand even the black teachers that I've practiced with or I've, or who I've with that I've seen either in social media or in the studios, they still don't look like me. They still don't sound like me is so important to actually see a teacher that is not trying to, or, or by accident being, or looking like the same, like thin, tall European appearance, you know, flowy, like, you know, hyper hyper flexible person, because that's, that's really not what the yoga world looks like. That's just what the yoga socials, social media looks like. Mm -hmm. And you're right with men. It's like, where are the full figured men? Where are the, you know, like for the, I think yoga does a good job at having gay white men who are very fit. Um, but there are folks out there that aren't gay, who aren't white, who aren't, who aren't, you know, rippled, you know, ripped bodies and that are 25 or even 35 shout out to some of my cutie otters who are like 38 and 39 and still have ripped bodies. Like you go, I don't know how you're doing it. (laughs) I don't know how you're doing it, but anyway, (laughs) they're out there. Like they are out there, but the, 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 the folks that don't necessarily have that, that body type, you never see them. You never see them. How many times have you seen like black male yoga teachers none and i'm in the pacific northwest and none well yeah pacific northwest like black folks in general like where are they (laughs) but like i mean i know now i know several folks now who are actually quite prominent because people are like oh you exist (laughs) it's like there are there are a lot of folks out there that exist it's just you know so it's something that, you know, I think we need to work on and something that we actually need to name. Mm-hmm. Like that's a problem. Yeah. And I think your kind of whole mission or kind of what I've seen from your social medias is just making yoga for anyone more accessible. And I love that about what you're doing. Well, thank you. I mean, it should be. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, is there's a lie out there. There's a really big lie out there that yoga has always been accessible to people like before colonization and all that. And that's not true. Yoga has never always been accessible to people. There have always been castes, um, people of lower caste that weren't allowed to practice yoga. There have always been people who, you know, who have lived in other realities, be it older bodies or non, 
um, or bodies that have different abilities that have always kind of been out of it. So outside of it, you know, like, yeah, this can be maybe your, your religious or spiritual practice, but your physical practice while well, you're, you know, no. Mm-hmm. Um, so asking for there to be a space that is truly inclusive where people of all castes, colors, religions, body types, uh, sexual identities, sexual orientations, um, to be able to come into one space is actually a quite big ask that I don't think people realize. Um, because it's cute, you know, to say yoga for everybody. Um, but the reality is that most people saying that don't even know what that looks like. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They don't, they don't know what yoga for everybody looks like. That means that you have to be okay with the South Asian practitioner who comes into your yoga class in a sari and practices. I've actually, being in Houston, I've witnessed this happen and the front desk person be like, oh my gosh, like, do you need some clothes? And I'm like, oh my gosh, please stop talking. <laughs> oh my. <laughs> but you're totally right. It's like, it's very hypocritical. They, I would imagine it's just for the money. It's just for the slogan. And I don't know, I just... I I would even argue like money is such a huge barrier too for people. Like a lot of people who have low incomes, even students that I know who have a ton of student debt, me, I know I'm in grad school, but um, it's just like we, there's a lot of people out there who can't afford it either. And I think that's another barrier to yoga where it's like, you can do yoga, you can't because you don't have enough money. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, it's a huge barrier to entry. And you know, it's wild is that I've I, I literally just said these words earlier today. So it's, it's amazing that this is coming up again, <laughs> that so many yoga teachers can't even afford to live where they teach. So it's like, what, what do you think that power dynamic ends up looking like? You know, so you're like teaching at this yoga studio that is $160 a month for unlimited classes, $160 a month is you know gas for an entire month that somebody's i remember i had two hundred dollars a month um and that was food that was the that was my budget for food for me and my daughter oh wow so what am i supposed to do like take well let me go ahead and throw 160 toward no I'm not going to go into the studio because that literally takes food out of our mouths right so then what do we do you know if if my own circumstances wouldn't have changed and if I wouldn't have found a studio that did like a karma yogi program which is problematic as well but if if I wouldn't have found that I would have never been able to continue my yoga practice and community but what's really awesome is now the world is so different and there are people like me and people like other like conscious yogis are like, you know what, let's create a space where people can come and whether they can pay or not, they can still practice. And then those who can pay will, and those who can't don't, but like, let's do donation-based yoga. Let's do work exchange. Let's do like, you know, let's do the thing. So like, that's what, that's, that's what I have done. And that's the, those are the, the communities look so different as a result. And it's not like, oh, all the black folks are on work study or free. It's not even that either, because that's people not understanding that it's not that black folks don't have the money. You don't even have to explain this. 
I just feel like, like it's so so stereotypical. Like people make judgments about. <laughs> but I know. Like, yeah. Maybe they. Maybe maybe they just don't want to give you the money. Like you know what I mean. Like maybe that. <laughs> like maybe. Like what are you offering to actually? say, you know what, I'm worth becoming a line item in your budget when you don't even look like me, you don't cater to people like me, you don't play music I listen to, you don't give me anything that supports who I am. And also, let's be clear, there is a whole you know sector of the population that is underemployed or getting paid less because they are black or brown. And so, yeah, for, so there's also that. So it's, it's not like, it's not like the systemic harm isn't there, but it's to say, what are you doing to make access to healing modalities available to all people? Because that's really what's being restricted mm-hmm. is like a legitimate healing modality that's been in place for thousands of years. And it's like, nope, not you, but you, because you have learned how to work capitalism to your advantage. I was just about to say that. I was just like, here comes capitalism. (laughs) And I I mean, here's my thing. Like I'm a Gen Xer, so I'm not like an anti, I I will say I'm not like an anti-capitalist. Like I believe in blooming where you're planted. We're planted in the United States. We can bloom here, but you know what? It doesn't have to look the way it does. It can be, it can be ethical. It can be where you don't just continue to consume dollars and then just, just like shoving your your mouth with dollars and everything. And then it's like, oh, I just want more, more money, more cars, bigger house, another house, three houses, we're just, you know, consume, consume, consume. Mm -hmm. I mean, imagine if people did capitalism ethically and shared from their abundance. Mm -hmm. Like, what could that look like? Equity. <laughs> yeah, it could look like equity. Like, uh, I think, I, mean, I know this is accessibility too. Say again? I said accessibility too, like you were talking about, to resources. Oh. Because the thing is, if you think about like, capital, let's just say that capitalism is a way to um, build resources. Let's just say that. If I have more resources, now I can give them away, but that's not what we do. That's not that's not what's modeled for us in society. What's modeled for us is I worked harder than you to do this. I'm better at this than you. And so you suck, I win. Boom, that's it. <laughs> Just like, no, yeah. no. Now, it, and then like, I, I don't know. It's just, I'm just like, where's the, where are we? Where's the collective care? Mm-hmm. Maybe I have more access. Maybe I'm better at this or that, or maybe I have more access to this or that. And with that access, it helps me do X, Y, Z in the world. And that X, Y, Z in the world gives me resources. Okay. That doesn't mean I'm better or worse, or it just means that all the stars align for this one thing to happen. And now I can bring you along with me. But that's that's what's missing. And I think that as long as we, this is a, an opportunity for reframe, but I think as long as we blame a thing that doesn't make humans accountable, they will never take accountability. I think you can 
put like us into a social system, a capitalist system, a, uh, I don't know, any kind of system. But if the humans don't care about taking care of other humans, it'll never happen. Case in point, Cuba. Yep. <laughs> and that's the show. <laughs> I'm like, how did we go there? Well, but it's collective care, isn't it? Yeah. Like collective care, so. And that's, you know, yoga, I would say, ideally is trying to advocate for that in collective healing, but in reality, <laughs> it's not doing that. Yeah, so think about it. A typical yoga studio has an overhead. A studio that I used to work with, there I think their rent was like $20,000 a month. Notice I said rent. So yeah. this is an indefinite bill, right? And I want to say that that wasn't the most expensive studio. So it's $20,000 a month. And it needs a build out. It needs all these things. That's hundreds of thousands of dollars just in a space. So, you know, if we forget how much it cost, like let me just take out the whole question about overhead. But let's think about who has that type of money or credit just lying around to um, to action to open a studio that may or may not fail, uh, you know, like it could fail, right? So it's a multiple, it's a six-figure bet that all is going to go well. How many people from traditionally marginalized communities have that access to capital or are even willing to make that type of bet. So what ends up happening is every yoga studio ends up being run by or owned by the same archetype. So I don't think that people do things because they're greedy, although I know it happens. I actually think that people do things because they literally have no awareness of what the, how it looks like on for other people's realities. So unless an organization is super intentional about creating that space, about creating that equity, about asking the questions, reaching into the community to find out where they can do better, mind you, when they do that, there's going to be a whole floodgate of people saying, you're a part of the problem. You suck. You're this. Other. So they've got to be willing mm -hmm. to like hear that, right? When they are, they can do amazing things. But if they're not, then they just are another, you can just throw a rock and hit another studio that offers, you know, fitness for a very specific segment of the population and everyone else gets left behind. Yeah. Do you think, I don't even know where I'm going with this question, but I'm, I'm basically like trying to think of a way to have people like be more mindful of this because it is so important i'm like how can i don't know it's a i guess people aren't just self-aware or want to like do this work because it is hard but it's also necessary <laughs> and i'm like why wouldn't we be doing this yeah we do hard things all the time um <laughs> i as much as i do not like Brene brown <laughs> <laughs> i do i will say that that whole pass the mic campaign, you know, I went public with that, uh, with what I just said, but 
um she, i'm sure she's a wonderful person also she's also houstonian and we and a former longhorn we have so many things in oh. common we were probably in school at the same time same place but that pass the mic thing was smart you know at some point it's like can we stop making the same people the you know the representatives of this that or the other like there's so many people out in the world doing amazing things so for example accessible yoga association who i want to specifically name and um you know comes together and brings together a board of folks of like-minded folks that are like individually you know we have audiences but together we have a, a, a big audience right and we're all people who believe in making yoga accessible and and understanding who we are in the it as a part of the problem and as a part of the solution. There's a big self-study piece to figuring out where we as individuals have not done as, as much as we can. And so the because it's organized around a board, because it's a nonprofit, we can actually find that out. Like I didn't know that saying, oh man, I'm you well, you know how I am, I'm just crazy. You know, I didn't realize that that was an ableist thing to say. It wasn't until I assembled people around me who were like, hey, like maybe consider that that's like an ableist way of, that's an ableist thing that you just said there. I was like, no shit. Like, I didn't know, oh. you know? <laughs> or like when people would say, um, well, that person is transgendered or a transgender. And then, and then I'd be like, oh, I mean, I'm not a trans, I'm an ally, but I would say, you know, it's not a condition. And, um, and so, so like, let's like, let's like, that, that's a trans person, that is a trans mask or a trans femme, or like this, this is the language, right? In community, we can actually say that, but the community has to be diverse in order for me as an ally, a trans ally to even know that that language is the language or the reason why X, Y, or Z is a problem. I think so many people just keep their insular communities. So the answer for me is, is cast a wider net, find your expanders. Like if someone is irritating you, challenging you, but they're challenging you to be better, then that's probably someone you need in your life. That's a good point. But if you're never challenged and you're in a bubble where everyone agrees with you all the time, there's nothing happening there. There's nothing happening but inertia. Yep. Mm -hmm. I think that's the same. We were talking about this within a few of our classes, kind of a, just introducing us to social justice, basically for me and a couple other people who grew up not thinking this way. Um, so I was learning a lot. Um, but we were talking about how kind of inevitably you go through grief and like mm. doubt and shame through all this white people <laughs> um, when you're learning and it's you need to go through this because think of all the I don't know I don't even like the trauma um, the hardships that all marginalized populations have gone through your stress is this big <laughs> compared to the catastrophic amount that 
everyone else has experienced. And I think you saying that and having kind of recognizing that you will go through hardships, but you need a sense of allyship and group to kind of point you and also find some direction is super helpful. So wanted to throw that two cents in there too. (laughs) Well, and mazel tov to you for actually being willing to go through that awareness expansion. You know, people get into a group, let's say, and they're, they find themselves like, oh, I'm the only person who thinks this way or looks this way, or, oh, you're, you're expanding me. And then the minute that it gets hard over and over and over again, they leave. Um, and, you know, uh, I've, I've recently had that experience and, uh, a friend of mine said, well, maybe this person, you know, just got all that they were meant to learn from you. And I said, or maybe this person got all that they were willing to learn. Like not, they didn't get all that they could learn from me. They got all that they were willing to learn. And, you know, that's, that's, that's a reality. And also 100%, we're all in, we're all in agency. And so if a person is used to having their feelings catered to, and they realize that that's not going to happen anymore, and that's too difficult, they may exit stage left. And that is fine. Now, here's my thing. This is where boundaries come in. Am I going to be in a relationship, any kind of relationship, business, uh, amorous, platonic, that is not reciprocal in terms of boundaries? Hell no. Mm-mm. Like that is not health for me. And so I have a whole bunch of other things I'm trying to resolve. Like I'm I'm yeah. trying to like not look at like at sugar as like everything that I love about life. You know what I mean? Like chocolate as like <sighs> the most beautiful, exquisite thing. Like I already have my work. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so like you don't need more. I don't, yeah. <laughs> I just like I just I just I keep thinking about it's just an energy suck. And at some point you just have yes. to realize how much are you taking where it's just you need to stop. Yes. Like at some point it's like, bruh. <laughs> you know, and I, you know, so it's just like, I, I'm still in my work. And I also wanted to say something. It just occurred to me um, about, you know, when you were talking about like the shame of being a white person, kind of like understanding your role or what have you in it. You know, I remember having shame about learning my about learning black history because I didn't I didn't have I hadn't learned it I I felt shame about not knowing my history as shame about not knowing about the the black leaders I remember coming home from my my second semester of uh, my my undergrad and going to my mom and saying why didn't you tell me any of this like, why didn't you tell me that this affected you when you were growing up? And she was like, well, I'm from a podunk town. Like the white people lived over here and we lived over here. And that was just the reality. And like, I never, like this wasn't happening in my tiny little podunk town in, in Louisiana. And I'm like, but it was happening in the world and you had to have been affected by it. And then, you know, I didn't have that same conversation with my dad but he was living in my Mississippi and I know for sure he was directly affected by that. My grand paternal grandfather is a sharecropper. 
Like I know for sure they were all affected by that. So it was just like, but it was just never talked about. And I just remember there was this like unspoken shame about like what we what we didn't know or what was not talked about. And I think that proof of this is in the re is how people, black people resist being in a relationship with the land. So like as an urban farmer, part of my healing journey is being in relationship with the land, but in agency. Wow. And it is like, like how many people are like, no, I'm not going to do that. It's too hard. My family already did that. We already told the land we're not laboring. And I'm like, but the land belongs to everybody, to all people. Like you don't have a relationship with something because it was, we were put in this, this problematic, um, in this acrimonious relationship with the land because we were forced to work it and never given access to it, but we, we have choice now. So like, why wouldn't you go after your 40 acres and a mule? Like, why wouldn't you plant something, grow something? Why would you rely on the food industrial complex to feed you when at the same time, they are literally poisoning black communities that live down the street from their labs? Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> like, I never thought of that until now that you're talking about this. I'm like, just blown away <laughs> like that makes so much sense because now you have you have this agency you have this choice you have autonomy and I would imagine it's just a, you get a bunch of backlash but the way that you explain that I'm like why would you want to be controlled by this system like again <laughs> I, I'm like you think this is ease this is not ease you think this is soft living this is not soft living relying upon the food industrial complex to supply our needs is literally either killing the people who eat the food slowly or killing the people who live in the areas quickly. And they are all black and brown people. Oh, and so it's just like, there was a, you know, there, there was a study that came out in Scientific American a few, like a, just many years ago, you know, the pandemic has made me lose <laughs> like sight of what, of time. But, and there was something like, and I might, I'm sure I'm going to butcher this, but it was something like poor women who eat at home or oh. yeah, poor women who eat at home versus wealthy women who dine out. Those poor women are healthier than the, than the wealthy women who dine out. And it's like, so, okay. So there's, it's not, it's not about access when it comes to that aspect to it. It is about are you the hands preparing the food? Yeah. But I will say that that is one of my areas of healing is around, am I willing to do the work to heal, to, to heal that relationship of being like, I'm not cooking. I'm going to have that delivered. You know, that is, that is me doing, doing the thing, like being like, I'm going to have it delivered. I'm going to have someone else make this for me. And I am participating in the industrial food complex, and, you know, and it's just like, bruh. but I will say this, we grow as much as we can. 
you know? And that's fair too. I think, you know, finding that moderation too. So there isn't some sort of like burnout with it. So you don't start to hate what you're doing because it's actually yeah. coming from a very healthy, happy place. Um, but you're right, yes. you know, too much of it can be worse. <laughs> yeah. And you, of course, will know this, right? Because of your own studies, like, it's like anything, you know, where you kind of feel forced to do it is going to feel like labor. It's going to feel, you're going to, of course, you're going to get burnt out. I mean, you can love it as much as you want, but <laughs> if, if it, if it feels laborious, then that's exactly what it's going to be. So we grow less now so that we actually will eat what we grow. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm like, so onions. Okay. Uh, <laughs> bell peppers. Got it. <laughs> so I guess kind of integrating both of these two topics we've been talking about a lot about social justice kind of aspects, accessibility, and then also yoga. How or I guess, what are some things that you have done personally to kind of integrate both of them together? And I know you've kind of talked about it already, but I guess share your present day practice. What are you doing to help um, accessibility for yoga? The through line for me is connection. Connection to self, connection to my community, connection to the world. That's my through line. So for me, on any given day, I'm going to teach yoga. Um, I'm going to attempt to have conscious com communication out there. My social media, hopefully, is a resource for like conscious interchanges and exchanges um, and um, community. Like I. I don't want to be limited to the city of Houston for my community, right? And then, so I'll teach, I will get on social media and interact with people. Uh, uh, I used to get on social media and I was like that person who would always argue with people, but I'm not anymore. I've literally said more times than I can think now, if you like it, I love it. If you need a win today, have it. I, I offer it to you. Like, I'm just not going to fight with you over this. Like, I don't have any need to win this conversation. Like, hashtag protect your energy. Um, so, but I'll teach and then I get out there and connect with the land. Um, you know, for me, planting something that's just for me, something that I don't intend to sell or to eat has been really great. Uh, for me, that's been roses. Okay. And so just like, planting them, tending to them, harvesting them and bringing them in. There's something really uh, beautiful about just interacting with beauty in a mindful way. And also like deadheading and weeding, which becomes of course, metaphor for life. Like what I need to think about that isn't actually right for me in this season. What, what's, what's, what needs to go, you know, what, what could stay. So those things have been really, they have been therapy for me. Um, the connection to the land, you know, just, and also receiving help because I can't do this on my own. And a lot of what I've built, the businesses I've built, the farm that I've built, the, all those things, I've had to ask for a lot of help. And I believe that that's karma resolution. I believe that that is like healing for me asking for help, realizing that I don't have to do everything by myself and being vulnerable 
because vulnerability is actually something that has caused really dangerous situations for black and brown people. Another reason why I'm not a huge fan of BB, because I'm just like, you can't, you can't just expect people to show up vulnerably, vulnerably the way that you're asking them to. Yep. Like your tears, like your tears could get the cops called and me arrested. Mm-hmm. So, um, like, so anyway, makes me think of like generational trauma like your nervous system is just out of whack at that point and trying to tell someone to be like just be vulnerable it's fine why am i i'm mm, this isn't the message for me but thank you we we need we need and that actually that's what it comes down to is nervous system regulation so i would say also the three line i would say that's the true through line is nervous system regulation and that comes in the form of practicing my own phys- postural yoga practice, practicing the yoga of community, practicing the yoga of tending the earth, and the the yoga of surrender, of actually having faith in community and that we'll do better, that we will be better. You know, that those are all practices of, of yoga for me. Awesome. And so what about people who are just starting out in yoga? Um, Could be, you know, a marginalized population could just be a white folk like me. What would you want to tell them? (laughs) Well, lest we not forget (laughs) that white folk can also be marginalized because they can be trans, non-binary, you know, you know, um, so so it's not just, it's not a black and white thing, but um. I, you know, for me, I would have saved a lot of time if I would have just found my right teachers from the start. I wasted a lot of time with teachers that didn't resonate with me. So if you're just now beginning, I would say if it doesn't feel good in your body, mind, or spirit, then that's not your teacher. Mm-hmm. Your heart knows when you found your teacher or your practice. So I found my practice, I found my teacher before I found my practice, and then I found the practice and I stayed with, I let myself to be fed by the practice. And then I found another teacher and another teacher and another teacher. So, but let you, let there be something that actually nourishes you. Let this not be an exercise of self-flagellation, like are you going just because you're trying to fit into that swimsuit or like, are, is the practice that you're doing one in which it's feeding your soul or feeding your shadow? Yeah. Oh, I love that. The intention. Where is it going? I love that. <laughs> yes. Is it for joy or is it for scarcity? So like, if it's for joy, do it. If it's for scarcity, don't. Like if you feel like oh no, what's going to happen if I don't, then that's probably not your teacher or your practice. So, and your teacher and your practice are out there. We, we, and we're hoping that you find us and we're looking for you. So if someone is looking to work with you, maybe they're in the Houston area or maybe just your social media, where can they find you? So I would love for them to come flow with us at the Ranch Houston, which is in the, on the south side of Houston, um, the spiciest side, by the way. Uh, <laughs> uh, 
or they could become a part of our volunteers if they're willing to sweat and learn. They don't need anything. Um, we're doing yoga all the time together without going into a single handstand. <laughs> and um, they can follow me on social media. That's really helpful, mainly because it helps increase reach to folks that are still looking for the teacher. So um, my socials are diva underscore transcending. And I actually now have a new website. That's my name, TamikaCastamiller.com. So they can sign up for that newsletter. And also the newsletter for the Ranch Houston will be really great too. And there are, are conscious organizations I tend to recommend. Accessible Yoga Association, Ashe Yoga, which is the the company I founded that specializes in BIPOC and LGBTQ plus populations and trauma-informed yoga. And then there's also Yoga Works, who is who for whom I teach right now, who is really doing um, the work to do better and to be better with the reach that they have. Um, and so, yeah, I'm really proud to be associated with all of those. So for sure, I'll I'd love to see any follows or, um, yeah, any follows from those. For anyone who's looking to do healing work in the world, um, who's looking to actually live by Black Lives Mattering, uh, live by supporting your queer fam, or just be a better human in the world, support queer-owned and BIPOC-owned businesses. Um, we are far more likely to fail and um, we are far less likely to have access to capital. So support these businesses because whether or not there is a specific mental health or wellness um, focus, the wellness is happening at the community level. So support, put your dollars where your, your mouth is, where your Absolutely. social media is. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you for bringing that up. I don't think that's talked about enough. I think people just say it. I'll talk, no action. <laughs> um, so yeah, thank you for bringing that up. And thank you for being on the show today. It was so great to have you. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. This has been so fun. I'm so glad to know that you are going out in the world. Wait a minute. Are you Gen Z or millennial? You're Gen Z, right? I'm Gen Z. <laughs> I'm I love Gen Z so much. You are the most amazing generation and you are going to change our lives i'm yes. just so grateful for you well thank you for that i will pass along the message to fellow gen zers send it out to all the gen zers you know send it send it along the the thing that y'all use send it along the tiktok <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, like I said, thank you so much for being on the show today. It was wonderful listening to you and your expertise and your wisdom. It was so awesome. Thank you. Appreciate you. Take yeah. care. Awesome. Yep. And thank you to all the listeners today tuning in. Um, if you're interested and you're not following along already, definitely go subscribe to the podcast. I'm everywhere where a podcast can be streamed on. So just look up Holistic Healers. Um, my Instagram is holistic underscore healing LC. Email me if you need services or want to be the next guest on the show. I'd love to talk to you. Uh, thank you all so much. Talk to you all soon. Bye.